How y'all doing? I'm Paul Ryan, your host of Across the Cowboys. We are part of the Across the Board podcast family. And of course, guys, with me as always is my co-host, Mike the Pig Crumb. Mike, how are you? Doing ya? good, man. How you doing, Paul? I'm doing well, sir. And Mike, where can we find you out on Twitter? I am at CD Piglet. Wonderful. And again, guys, I'm Paul Ryan, and you can find me at Paul underscore Ryan 15. Mike, I'm feeling a bit of deja vu here. I feel like we've we've done this before. Are you getting that feeling at yeah, all? Yeah, yeah, definitely. Uh, uh, I thought at first it, it's because I don't sleep really, but apparently we've done this before. Yeah, yeah. Um, you know, earlier in the week, we always record on Monday, and we had quite the episode apparently because, um, you know, as the kids say, I, I guess the episode was so fire that anchor couldn't even upload it. That's how good the quality was. Yeah. Nice. I, uh, I'm too old to use those references. If I'll get beat up by young kids, if I try to say something was fire. So yeah, that sounds good to me. Yeah. Hey, we'll take that one. Right. As long as the quality is yeah, good. Exactly. It's, it's too bad. You know, it's unfortunate. Uh, I really enjoyed the episode. I enjoyed going over weeks 14 through 17 with you. But um, honestly, I was able to go through it in my head and I missed some stuff that is kind of important uh, over the weeks and through some of the games. So I'm, I'm honestly excited to do it one more time and, and maybe even make it a better one. Well, hey, Mike, we've been we've been doing pretty well over the first five, five episodes. So we're bound to have a bad. One, yeah, right? exactly. And and we haven't had any other dog barks since the one which. Yeah, they haven't in, in, uh, introduced themselves anymore. Well, hey, we're just getting started, so I'm able to make another appearance this yeah, week. Yeah, you never know. Never say never with those brats. Well, Mike, here it is. It's uh, episode six, and we are still talking about the Cowboys' 2020 schedule. And that's a little bittersweet, Mike, because the, ca- the, the season hasn't even started, and here we are. We're already talking about the end. We're discussing weeks 14 through 17 now. And correct me if I'm wrong, but up to this point, I had us at eight and four. I have a stealing one against the Ravens, and you had us at seven and five. And that was the game that you and I, uh, our, we had our first disagreement. You had us losing a, a tough one against the Ravens. Yes, Is that sir, right? That's correct. That's our, our first disagreement came in the, the last game of the previous episode. So, it was nice to have a disagreement, and uh, it's going to be nice to uh, to uh, hopefully have you be right and me look like a fool because that would uh, have us beating the Ravens at Baltimore, and I'd be very happy about that. Yes, sir. And, you know, again, I I said last week that I thought that that would be the game of the year there, Dallas Cowboys versus the Baltimore Ravens, when you think about Dak Prescott and Lamar Jackson. Yeah, that – man, what a matchup. Uh one uh, kid who came out and was supposed to be a receiver and won an MVP and another one who half the fan base is like, dude, the guy's really good. And the other half is like, he's the worst quarterback in the history of the world, put in the backup. It's uh, it's going to be uh, fun to watch. You think uh, Bill Polian's bought a Lamar Jackson jersey yet? I, I still think he, he, I don't know, just the way people think about stuff, it's like, 
you have to realize that stuff moves with the times and uh and you you need to adjust and Lamar and the thing that's funny is Lamar Jackson kills people from the pocket and they still he he's not he needs to improve his deep throws but a lot of quarterbacks need to improve their deep throws and when the the guy can do everything else in his second damn year how about we uh, praise him a little bit exactly and I, people just seem to look at him as a uh, a running back and they fail to see that what he actually is a good pocket passer and he he's pretty accurate when you talk about intermediate throws and things like that of course you know no no QB has is perfect in every way, but the way that he was uh, kind of being, I don't want to say scrutinized, but just how he was being viewed and being told that he should switch positions, you know, during his draft process is pretty ridiculous, especially when you look back yeah, now. Yeah, I'm glad he got on the Ravens. A great front office. Uh, uh, Harbaugh's a amazing coach, one of the best. Uh, reminds me of your boy in, uh, in basketball for the Mavs, Carlisle. You know how much I love him, and they're just both those same type of coaches that that like uh, just know how to win games. They're not flashy or anything. Uh, uh, John Harbaugh being an old special teams coach, I, I just like him. He's one of my favorites. Absolutely, uh, he, I don't think he really gets the credit he deserves. He's had good teams, but did he make those teams, or were they built? You know, where they built, and he just got lucky. You know, I'm sure there's a debate to be made there, but he is definitely one of the top-tier head coaches in the league. There's no doubt about that. Him and him and Greg Roman, man, the, the uh, magic they had last year was, was fun to watch. Yeah, it is. Greg Roman's a really good, unique uh, mind uh, as an offensive coordinator. He sets, uh, he sets things up really well for the personnel he has, and then Harbaugh's really deep as a special teams coach uh, he's really detailed, so he brings that to the overall team, and it's a good, uh, it's a good fit. No, no, no doubt about that. Well, you know, Mike, we've talked a lot about a certain coach, and before we go down that rabbit hole, because I feel like that's where we're trending to, you know, before we reopen those wounds, maybe we should get started with the episode. Yeah, let's do a talking Ravens. <laughs> yeah, yeah, that's what we're going to change the podcast yeah. to, the, the name of the podcast yeah. to. All right, Mike. Well, it's week 14, and we kind of – the Cowboys get a bit of a break here. You know, no disrespect to our opponent, but we're headed to Cincinnati. You know, we're on 10 days rest. This is one of the easier matchups that we've had really throughout the entire season up to this point. And we know the Bengals last year weren't very good. They were 2-14 and 14 in 2019. They were last in the AFC North. Luckily, they did have some good fortune – they were able to get the number one overall pick, and they they draft the hometown hero, or, or or so they hope. They take Joe Burrow number one overall. And I was uh, when I was doing my notes, I was looking at the uh, Bengals draft just to get an idea of what all they uh, just to refresh the memory of who all they took. And I saw that CBS gave their draft grade an an A. And you know, here we are. We're looking at the Cincinnati offense with. Now Joe Burrow, still Joe Mixon, A.J. Green, Tyler Boyd, and John Ross, and the uh, rookie T. Higgins. When we look at this week 14 matchup, Mike, what, what are your thoughts here? Well, you're right. You know, the, the on-paper thing, the thing about the Bengals, the reason we quote-unquote easy, uh, easier game is you can look at them and see while they have pieces, they're, you know, they got to build for a few years. Um, the quarterback's brand new. 
uh, coming into a new system. Um, he's one of the, uh, the one year he had one really big year in college. So, you know, coming up, uh, elevating to the NFL under a new system and everything, how does he develop? Uh, he has a lot of weapons. Uh, as you said, the wide receiver core is really good. Um, can green stay healthy? Boyd's been excellent. Uh, Ross adds some speed uh, that you hope that they can use in the system around the, the other good receivers. Um, as you know, when we talked about on the other one, I'm not a big fan of T Higgins, but I think I like him here because if green and Boyd and Ross are healthy, that's your, your speed, your pass catcher, your big clay guy. Um, so Higgins can kind of be a guy that, that gets lost in there, maybe becomes a bigger red zone target or gets a lower cornerback on him and he's able to take advantage of him. Uh, the O-line needs some time to develop. It's, it's not wonderful. Uh, I know Jonah Williams is there. Um, they actually signed our boy Xavier Suofilo. He's supposed to be the right guard. Uh, he's okay. We, we've seen him. He's, he's not great. You know, him being a starter in there is not uh, ideal. Um, he, that's going to that's gonna take them the most time because without the O-line, they don't get time for the quarterback to, you know, make his reads and get the receivers open. And they have a weapon in Mixon, but they got to be able to open holes for them. Uh, defensively, I like parts of them. They, they, they did a good job of filling holes because they lost uh, Andrew Billings, but they bring in DJ Reader. So that, to me, is an upgrade. I think DJ Reader is a pretty special DT. But um, on the cornerback side, they've totally reworked. Uh, uh, Kurt Patrick's gone. Dinner's gone. Webb's gone. They bring in uh, Waynes and uh, Alexander from the Vikings. Not great cornerbacks. They're okay. Uh, they bring in Vaughn Bell from the Saints. Not a great safety. None of them are big uh, additions. So I like our matchups there. We have so many weapons to go against them. Um, where they can give us trouble is our inside line is not as unknown right now. And they have uh, Atkins, DJ Reader in there. Uh, the edge rushers, they have Dunlap and Lawson coming off the edge. And so there's places they could give us trouble. Um, I really like their two draft picks, the linebacker, Wilson and Gaither. But, I mean, are the first year, are they going to be like all pros? No, but I do like that tandem going forward. So easy, in quotes, is because they need time. So if they come in and we roll our helmets out and they're hitting – they have enough talent to, to pull out an upset. You know, we've seen that in games before. We've seen teams where are like, wow, that team beat that team. They have the talent to do that, but you should walk into Cincy pretty confident um, to show up and, and be able to beat that team. Right, I agree. You mentioned just rolling in the helmet thinking that's going to be enough. And we've seen the Cowboys lose games like this where they just – they get a slow start or they, you know, maybe they don't take their opponent as seriously as they should, whatever it was. And they've lost games that were really winnable games that, that should have been really no contest. So very good points there. I know we talked about it on the uh, previous recording of this episode where at this point in the season, you more often than not, a team is in a groove, you know, they've established their identity, whether it be a strong defensive team or a strong offensive team. And, here at week 14, you know, Joe Burrow's going to be on the same page with his wide receivers, you imagine. you got to 
imagine that Joe Mixon's role will be defined and that the offensive line will be better when they're getting back the, uh, the pieces that they lost last year due to injury. So again, you, this isn't an offense that you want to sleep on. It's not going to just be, we walk in and, and win with minimal effort. We, we got to stay on our toes and, and take them seriously. Yeah, absolutely. And, and on the other end, I mean, by week 14, Dunlap, Reader, Atkins, Hubbard, Lawson bringing you a pass rush and uh, clogging up the middle. And then the linebackers may be by week 14, you're not a rookie anymore. You know, you, you're a rookie as in like, you know, they're playing the Cowboys for the first time. So there's that awe factor of, wow, we're going against Dallas. We haven't done this before. But by week 14, there's it's not like a a I don't know the game. I don't know the system. I don't know what's going on. So they their front seven could be formidable by that point. Um, on the other end, one thing that when we were talking last time that I didn't even think about, it didn't even come up um, in the podcast, and that's on my fault because I have it right here in my notes. We have Andy Dalton. Andy Dalton spent the first year with this rookie head coach, so he's going to know the offense pretty well. You're not going to come in. This, this coach is not going to come in with uh, – Mixon and all these receivers and get Joe Burrow and completely flip the offense in year two. You know, he's going to try to keep some of that terminology, you know, add pluses for what Burrow does better than uh, Andy Dalton did. So there's going to be some, some uh, changes in there, but Andy Dalton's going to have a good idea of what, how he wants to attack. And the Cowboys team are going to use that. I, I honestly do believe that part of the reason that Andy Dalton is the backup over some others is that we play Baltimore, we play Cincinnati, we play Cleveland, and he has the knowledge against them, and especially in this game, being in that room, knowing the wide receivers the way he does, knowing the line the way he does, knowing what Mixon likes to do or what he's uh, not as good at they're going to pick his brain and it's going to be a lot of help this year in, in the games versus the AFC North. Valid points there, Mike. Uh, I like what you bring up there. You know, you talk about Andy Dalton and the familiarity that he has with the AFC North and with the Bengals. He could be that, that edge that we have on the defense, because when you look at our secondary, I mean, we're, we don't have a lot of experience there with Siobhan Diggs. I know that we, you know, we, We've had Cheeto and Jordan Lewis. This is going to be their their third year, but they're still they're still fresh, if you want to say that. I mean, you know, now they're having to learn a new system and everything. And we we talked about the Bengals wide receivers. Well, now we have Andy Dalton. We could say, hey, you know, AJ Green, he likes to uh, he likes to do this on a certain round. Or Tyler Boyd, he's really he really capitalizes here. So watch watch out when he does something like this, just things like that, that he can help our secondary and our defensive coordinator. With. Absolutely. Yes. That's 100%. That, um, that is not only, uh, effective, uh, in that, but, um, but when you, uh, when you're attacking, you know, the, the, the line, he's going to know line calls. He's going to know stuff. Hey, watch for this, watch for that. So it's going to help because, you're right. Our our secondary doesn't match up great with their wide receiver core. It's something they could exploit, but their offensive line doesn't match up well with our front seven. And so the the ability to to make those adjustments on both ends, it could give our front seven the advantage that takes away their advantage that they could have when their wide receivers are facing our defensive backs. 
our front seven being able to get to them faster or take away Joe Mixon so the play-action game isn't as effective, that can help our secondary uh, to not get you know dismantled by a pretty good receiving core if everything works out well for them. So it sounds like, based on all those factors that you and I are on the same page and we think that if the Cowboys come in, you know, playing serious and prepared that this should be a, an overall easy victory for us, all things considered. Right. Yeah. They, they, this is one of those ones you got to get this game. You just went through the hardest stretch of the season, what should be on, on paper, the hardest stretch of the season. And you don't want to go through the ending stretch or it might be the easiest stretch. It sure seems to be. And you don't want to go in there and, and have a, you know, a letdown when you have the Niners coming in and uh, and then the Eagles. Um, you can't let this be a trap game. You just can't do it. You need to get this win. Right. You know, there is that old saying, you know, we talked about this on the previous recording that really the, the season doesn't really start until after Thanksgiving. And in December, that's really when you want to establish yourself and you want to, you know, have your identity and, you want to be playing your best football. Yeah, exactly. And and we're coming off the 10 days rest. And so, you know, when you have that extra time coming off the Ravens game and you get like the mini bye week, you want to come in like and assert yourself. Okay, we, we got the 10 days rest. We need to get going. This is our last push. Come in and handle the Bengals and then get ready for the beast of the 49ers that are coming in in a week. Yes, well, that, that Mike, you're spoiling it now. You're taking my you're taking my job from I'm, me. I'm setting up here. We I'm are pivoting to it for you. See, I'm helping. You're you're trying to toss me some softballs, right, right down yeah, the middle. Home run out of there. Well, here it is, Mike. It's week 15, and you you said it yourself. Here comes a juggernaut, the San Francisco 49ers. We know how they did last year. They were number one in the NFC West. They made it to the Super Bowl. Unfortunately, they fell short of the ultimate goal, and they lose to Patrick Mahomes and the Kansas City Chiefs. And the, uh, we saw the 49ers make a couple of moves. They traded to force Buckner to the Indianapolis Colts for an additional first-round pick, and they lost Emmanuel Sanders, who, you know, when you think about he comes in last season and gives them just that added weapon that they were really lacking, they lose him to free agency. Hold on, Mike, I'm getting a phone call. Sorry. That's okay, man, it happens. And they uh, they trade to Forrest Buckner. They lose Emmanuel Sanders. However, they they had the two first round picks. So it looks like they they're hoping that they found their replacements in the draft. They take Javon Kinlaw, defensive tackle out of South Carolina, and then they also draft Brandon Ayuk out of Arizona State, wide receiver. Looking at their draft picks and their losses, and just the 49ers overall. What are your thoughts here on Week 15? I know uh, when we did the pod last time, this was a game that shocked you. You you had yes, me going sure did. one way on this. You thought I was going one way for sure, and I shocked you on it. And uh, we we lose that effect, unfortunately. That was pretty fun. But uh, yeah, it was. Paul thought that I was going to go with the Cowboys losing this game, and I am not going to do that. Um, and it's a hard it's a hard sell to sell why because they're really good. I mean, they just are really good. The reason I don't have us losing this game is I, I just like the way we match up with them. 
you know, they, they, I still have them as division winners, but I do think they'll fall off a little bit. I don't think they'll be as strong a team, even though they may end up in the same spot. Um, when you lose a guy like DeForest Buckner and you lose a guy like Emmanuel Sanders, you quote unquote replace them. We all know I love Kinlaw and I think he's going to be a beast. Do I think rookie Kinlaw can match DeForest Buckner? Well, no, I don't. I mean, it's, it's, it's not fair to Kinlaw to ask him to do that. I don't think that Brandon Ayuk is going to come in and, and fill a role of Emmanuel Sanders. Emmanuel Sanders was their, their, their wide receiver one. Like um, I love Debo. He was a rookie. He played his butt off and I think he's going to improve and be the wide receiver one this year, but you're dropping a wide receiver one and bringing in a rookie, you know, cause now Debo's got to take the coverages that Emmanuel Sanders does. So even though he's going to improve and be better, he's going to see stuff he didn't see last year because people were worried about Kittle. People were worried about the run game. People were worried about uh, Emmanuel Sanders. So now they're going to come in and it's going to be like, okay, we got Kittle. We got the run game. Number one wide receiver stopped Debo Sanders. So, um, Debo Sanders. <laughs> I mixed them. <laughs> Debo Samuels. So, you know, going in, I, I went through the game when I was trying to pick, and, I, and I, I don't see really any advantages, you know, in the schedule. They, they, we have the home, so that's a slight advantage. But, you know, as far as it goes, like, oh, the travel and the week off and the 10 days – there's none of that. These two teams are coming in even. Um, so it's about the matchup. Well, I look at them and their offense isn't loaded. They have a great tight end. Debo's good. Uh, you know, behind that, they're, they're weapons wise. They're not really great, but their offensive mind, their play caller is brilliant. Like on another level, when everybody talks about Sean McVay, no, that's Kyle Shanahan. Like he, he was putting up 300 yard games with the third string quarterback a couple of years ago. Like he, he understands how to set you up, but he still, when you look at it, the teams that I think are going to give us trouble are teams with really good receiving cores. And we have hard matchups in the DBs. Um, but the teams I think will do well against are teams that need to run to set up their pass. And I think the Niners need to do that. And we have upgraded our run defense and our beef inside. I say that almost every podcast. You bring in McCoy, you bring in Poe, Woods assuming uh, he signs his tender. He's another big body. Um, so I like our run defense improved, and I, and I don't see them effectively killing us there to be able to set up their pass where they can take advantage of our DBs that may not be up to snuff, you know? I don't see them having the weapons to do that. Can Debo beat our guy? Well, sure, yeah, he's a good receiver, but I don't see them killing us enough to where we can't uh, have a chance in the game scoring-wise. So I look on the other end, and I really – I mean, the Niners' defense obviously stacked. Uh, they have defensive line all over the place. It's killer. Their linebackers, Quan Alexander and Drake uh, Greenlaw are good. They have uh, uh, Sherman, Beast in the outside. But their, their big, their big um, advantage against a lot of teams is their outside edge rush with D Ford and Bosa. Well, we have Tyron Smith and Lyle Collins. So you're not just going to kill us all game on the edge. So you're going to have to do other stuff. We're, you know, if you can stop the run with your line, that's fine. Now we use play action. Can your edge rush get there every time? Well, we're going to be able to do a good job against that. 
well, then all your are your DBs good enough to cover our three wide receivers? Well, they have Sherman, so Sherman does good versus does well versus Cooper. That's good for them. But then we have Lamb. Well, who's matched up against Lamb? Then we have Michael Gallup. Who's matched up against Gallup? Okay, your linebacker do good against Jarwin, do well against Jarwin, but we have Pollard coming to the backfield. We have Zeke coming out of the backfield. So I just like the matchup with the 49ers. So that that's why I went into it going, you know what? I think Dallas is going to win this game at home. I like our matchup, and I think uh, Dak can outduel Jimmy G. And so to your surprise at the time, I am taking Dallas, and I'm sticking with that now. I think we beat the Niners outright. All great points, Mike. I love love the way you broke down the teams and how they matched up. And you look at our offense compared to theirs, and there's really no no question that we are we dominate there. there. There's no doubt about that, especially when you look at just just speaking of the receivers. Of course, they have George Kittle, but we don't know what Blake Jarwin can can be when given a full time role. Is he going to be the next George Kittle? We probably not. But could he go toe to toe for that week with George Kittle as far as stats wise? Well, sure. Could we utilize him the way that that Kyle Shanahan use, utilizes Kittle? I'm sure we can. He, he didn't get a block like Kittle, but yeah, I get your. I overall, I I know what you're saying. Sorry, he's, he's not the blocker Kittle is, but yeah, I know what you're saying. He can he can put up a hundred yard game anytime. He's he's got that kind of potential. Right. Yeah. You know, I. I I hadn't really thought about blocking. You know, you think about George Kittle, just his all-around game and his his blocking and what he does for his teammates when he's not catching the ball probably goes un, goes unnoticed. Just like I I let it go unnoticed there. I mean, there you know, there's not a lot of a George Kittles in this league. But when we're just talking about a one-week matchup, I I'd, I'd put Blake Jarwin against George Kittle. Yeah, especially like you said, the passing game. If you're talking about yards, the way our weapons are, I agree with you. Uh, I. I it doesn't shock anybody if Jarwin out yards Kittle because, you know, the teams are going to go in going, okay, stop Kittle. Well, Jarwin's like the sixth person they're thinking about on Dallas's offense. So, yeah, in any game, you could see Jarwin uh, out dueling a, a Kittle, not because he's a comparable player overall, but because he has potential. We've seen him get those, those big games like against the Giants a couple years ago. And so if you're the sixth one in the, in the weapon rotation that people are trying to stop compared to the guy they're double teaming every week. Yeah. The, the Jarwin could match Kittle on a, on a game basis. Yeah. There, there's no doubt about that. And I know when we talked on the uh, previous recording, Mike, you know, I thought that the 49ers had the real edge on the coaching staff. I've had coach with Kyle Shanahan but, you know, I didn't want to sell short who we have, you know, Mike McCarthy being an offensive minded head coach. And then we have our own up and coming guy, you know, Kellen Moore. We were able to see what he could do with this Cowboys offense and him trying to run Jason Garrett's offense, you know, being being able to uh, tinker with that and have the success that he had. You know, who's to say that he couldn't be the next Sean McVay or the, the next Kyle Shanahan? And we, we have. I think that he gives us an advantage each, each week as well. Yeah, I, li- I like him a lot. You know, um, the one thing I'm interested to see is Garrett had that philosophy, you know, that he went by that most of us just hated. And he was very conservative in his philosophy. And, and Kellen Moore was able to break him out of that in pieces. But then we'd get on the road and you'd see games where we just every first down Zeke run, 
every like every time and uh in the red zone we would go from we would flip from being a a, a passing team outside of the red zone over 50 percent get in the red zone run it over 50 percent you know and it was it, and our red zone was poor again that's our biggest improvement we need so i'm excited to see what Kellen Moore can do when Mike McCarthy gets in there and goes, no, no, we, you know, do what do we think we can, does the best against this matchup? And it's not about what we do. It's about what we can do against this matchup. So if you're facing the Niners and you know, their front's good and their back end's bad. Well, maybe you, even in the red zone, you start to attack their, their back end instead of just going, okay, we're in the red zone, hand it off to Zeke. You know, I understand the weapon. I understand the thought process behind getting Zeke the ball, but you can't be that predictable. You know, when you get in there, if you need to throw 20 times to two runs every time you get in the red zone, then you have to do it. You know, just it depends on the matchup and don't be, don't be beaten down by a philosophy. You know, don't, don't let a, we do what we do mentality lose you a game when you're facing a team that's shutting down what you do stop doing it the vikings games perfect example we ran the ball on first down all the time and then at the end Dak, boom 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 down the field we get in the red zone three runs to zeke and then basically the game was over we took the ball out of the quarterback's hands do what's working against the team you're facing strategize versus that team it can't just be what you do you're doing what you do but you're, you're choosing what works against the opponent. So it's not like you, you all of a sudden when you pass, you're doing some weird pass play you've never done before in your life. It's what you do. It just so happens that you're choosing to do that more frequently because the advantage is to do that versus the given the opponent. Right, and you talk about what can we do against that opponent that we're facing and not just being stubborn and trying to execute what we're good at, you know, making those in-game adjustments. How confident are you that Mike McCarthy is going to be going to be able to do that this year? He's, you know, obviously I'm going to have him above Garrett. Garrett was a coach for how many years with many good teams and he never even made a conference finals. Uh, You know, we can give the quarterback all the credit, but Mike McCarthy was the coach of a team that won a Super Bowl and made four NFC title games, you know, he he gets some of that credit regardless of – and you go through his line, like at what point he's connected to Montana, Young, Brett Favre, Aaron Rodgers. Like at what point do we go like, no, no, he had great quarterbacks, but he also helped develop some of them. And the quarterback he's bringing in by every statistic and analytic was top five last year. So, you know, we can do the, well, you know, he's probably the seventh to eighth best quarterback, which is fine. You can make an argument for that. But statistically, in a Garrett philosophy, in a Garrett system, he was still a top five quarterback in stats and analytics. So Mike McCarthy is getting his hands on a on a pretty good young player and he gets to mold another one. And then maybe in a few years when we win a Super Bowl, they go, well, yeah, yeah, Dak Prescott. You know what I mean? And then he doesn't get credit again. Well, look at him. Before he got in there, Dak Prescott was a top five quarterback. Look at his stats. You know, and then he's going, gosh darn it, I never get any darn credit. <laughs> right. And, you know, you, you just went over the uh, quarterback timeline from Mike McCarthy and refreshed my memory. 
I heard some names on there. I, I think those guys turned out to be pretty good. You know, good. When I was reading them off the computer. I had never heard of them. Joe, Joe Montana. I guess he's some guy from Montana. I don't know. I, I never heard of him. Yeah. He played for the uh, Kansas City yeah, Chiefs, I believe. He, he was a Kansas City remember. Chief. That's it. I think his whole career played for the Chiefs. Uh, well, we're talking about quarterbacks, Mike. I think, you know, we both have Dallas winning this game. However, kind of sounds like it could come down to the quarterbacks. And we think about Dak Prescott. We think about Jimmy Garoppolo. How would you rank those guys? Do, or do you have Jimmy Garoppolo and – uh, at the same level as Dak, or how do you how do you kind of view that matchup? I there? like uh, Jimmy Garoppolo. I'm not an anti Jimmy Garoppolo guy, but I'm not putting him ahead of Dak Prescott. Um, the thing is, is if I put Dak Prescott on that Niners team, there uh, I can easily see them making the the Super Bowl. I actually where uh, where Jimmy G's deficient i can see dak uh improving i mean i i don't see i don't see jimmy g leading an offense to a top three he just i don't think he's that kind of thrower i think he's very good he's jimmy g reminds me of what people think dak prescott is like oh zeke just runs it and then they set up off the run game and they stack the box and and then dak makes these easy throws and then you go you know, in, into the analytics and you see that he's uh, most yards uh, per attempt, uh, most yards per completion uh, on, on his routes. And and you're like, oh, no, he doesn't set that up. And then everybody thinks like, oh, they stacked the box versus Zeke. And I, we weren't even in the top 10, I don't believe, in stack boxes this year. Like teams like the Saints, when they came in, the ones that gave us trouble played coverage. They said, we're going to take away the D ball. And if you want to run and throw it underneath and drive down the field, we know you're not, you don't have good special teams. You don't get turnovers. So you're going to have to drive it 80 yards to get a score. And we're not giving you any big plays. And that's the defenses that gave us trouble. But everybody thinks it's, oh, they stopped Zeke. No, that's not what they did. Go back and watch the tape. Watch the Patriots game. Watch how they played it. They play coverage. That's how you stop. Don't give them the big play. Make them go short underneath, short underneath, and drive it 80 yards because the special teams gives them no help. They're not going to get any field position help. And the defense doesn't get any turnovers, so they're not going to help them get anything. So they're going to have to do, you know, 80-yard drives on tough defenses. And and those teams are the ones that gave us trouble. Teams that try to stop the run, we can beat them deep and get get down on them. And that's, uh, that was uh, where we were more successful. Well, Mike, it sounds like you've been doing a lot of homework on Dak. I know uh, just about every single day you're fighting the good Dak fight there on Twitter. You know, there's so many Dak haters there who have those uh, use surface level, surface level scouting, if you will, um, information to try to prove as to why Dak is not a franchise quarterback or even a good NFL quarterback. So appreciate that I, breakdown I actually, there. Really good information. If you want to really get in depth with it, Bobby Belt who if you follow us, you should be following Bobby Belt. Um, he just did a breakdown like uh, the nine myths uh, of Dak Prescott. And it's about the the Dak Prescott haters. He's so tired of, uh, of fighting them off. He was actually, he had Dak as a first round quarterback. So it, it wasn't even a Cowboys thing. Really? You know, if you read the article, 
he was talking about it. He was talking about Dak Prescott way before they were drafted. So it wasn't like a, oh, I'm a fan of the Cowboys, so I'm defending the guy. He in call and when he was coming out of college, he had him as a first rounder. He had him as the third best uh, quarterback in the group. Um, and uh, and he does a breakdown, breaking down all nine of the. You know, Zeke carries the team. My eyes tell me the best one. My eyes tell me he goes through all of them. I highly recommend going through it. It's it's really well done. Um, it breaks down with statistics, with analytics, with um, everything you can ask for. It's it's Bobby Belt does such good work. I highly recommend you go and read that if you haven't yet. Well, yeah, I hadn't even seen that. I'm definitely going to check that I'll, I'll out myself, actually. When we get off of the pod here, I'll tag you in it so you can read it. It's really good. Yeah, I'm looking forward to it. Well, Mike, we're here. We're on a bit of a winning streak. You have us. Let's see. We're winning. We just won the last two games. So according to you, I guess that would put us actually that would put us at a two game win streak when we're talking about where you had us at, because you did have us losing that Ravens game. Here I have us at a three-game winning streak. And here comes week 16, a very familiar opponent, somebody we talked about in episode three. We get to face the Eagles. And, you know, I don't know if we'll be playing for the division again this year, but we all saw what happened last year on week 16 and the biggest game of the year for the Cowboys. And actually, you know, probably the biggest game of the year for the Eagles as well. They end up winning that game and, that proves to be the uh, difference in the division. Well, again, I mentioned we, you know, we talked a bit about the Eagles in episode three. What are your thoughts here as we're going into week I, 16? Um, I love this matchup. This is my favorite schedule game of the, uh, of the season. When you look at it, they're, um, they're traveling from the West coast, which is always hard on East coast games. They play the Cardinals the week before they're on their third road game in four games. So they're coming in like like I talked about in the in the Baltimore game where it's not always the opponent, but it's that they're human beings and they're just they have a tough travel schedule and they have it. uh, It's just a bad setup for them. It happens to every team once or twice a year. This is that game for the Eagles. If you go through their schedule, this is their hardest uh, one. And then they have to go into Dallas late game. And um, I'm sure we'll go over uh, Eagles schedule here in a little bit. But um, uh, I have it set up where it, this is going to be for them to stay in the division race against us. And um, I, I like it regardless of, of past the matchup that I like our matchup just on the schedule, what they have to go through. Like we have a short week because we play Niners Sunday night and Niners are tough so they can beat you up. So, you know, we're not going in clean. But man, having to, having your third uh, road game in four games and having to go to the West Coast a week before, and that that travel is just brutal. I'm assuming they're going to go from the West Coast and just go to Dallas because I don't think you want to go West Coast all the way back to the East Coast, practice a couple of games, and then travel to Dallas. That would make it even worse. I would imagine they wouldn't do that. Um, so I have us winning the game just on that. If we're breaking down the game, uh, stuff to look for is it sounds like a shot, but is Wentz going to be healthy? It just how it is. You're that far into the season. He's had injuries every year. So that has to be a factor. Um, you have to look at, uh, uh, how good the, um, 
the line for Dallas is playing now, our left guard matchup center. Do we have that figured out because they're bringing in Hardgrave and they're bringing in Cox? Um, their edge is not great, so we'll be able to lean on uh, on going after the uh, middle more because our tackles should be able to handle their guys. Um, their linebacker core is pretty weak. Uh, maybe the rookie they got is playing better. I don't think he's uh, more than a special teamer his first year, but maybe if he's hitting his stride, he can help. Their safety, they didn't really replace um, Jenkins. Uh, I like their cornerback group. I like that they brought in Slay and Coleman. But even there, like they have a couple guys. Slay's always done well versus Cooper. Coleman's your your middle guy, so maybe he does a good job against Lamb. But then what do you do against Jarwin with your linebacker core? What do you do against Gallup with your other outside cornerback? Um, what do you do against uh, Zeke and Pollard out of the backfield? This is the opposite of the last one where we came in off a hard schedule. I think they come in off a hard schedule in this one. And I think we close out the division this week. This is where the, the Cowboys make the playoffs. They win the division and we, uh, we knock them out at least out of the division. Maybe, maybe they're there. There's that extra wild card. I, I believe is this year. And so maybe they sneak in that way. Yes, I do believe the additional wild card will actually be happening this year in 2020. So seven total playoff teams this year, which is, man, that that adds an interesting element to to the playoffs and just how the season could go for sure. Mike, I like how you brought it up, though. You talked about the traveling with the Eagles and the tough schedule and everything, and that just reminds me of the article you wrote where you broke down the Dallas Cowboys 2020 schedule and you – talk a bit about your process and you know we talked about that as well where it's not just what's on the field but the human elements and things like that and we talk about traveling as one of them absolutely you know and at this point of the season you know teams are going to be beat up teams are going to be tired and we talked about this as well on the podcast we talked about momentum and right now you know I have the Cowboys at a four-game win streak you have them at a three-game win streak and we got to imagine they're going to be riding riding that momentum pretty high and thinking about what happened last year and the season they had and how they lost to Philly. I don't want to say an embarrassing fashion because it was a good game, but you think about the Michael Gallup 50-50 ball and Amari being on the sidelines. And another word that we've used often too is revenge. You know, I, I would imagine that Dak and Amari and Gallup and Zeke and just that, that Cowboys team, especially against the division rival, wants to get some revenge and hopefully potentially be knocking the Eagles out of the playoff race and, I have this as a – again, I don't like to say the word easy because in NFL you just never know what can happen, and especially against division rivals where we've seen crazy things happen before. Uh, yeah, I, I see us winning again. Um, we're going to seal the deal. We're going to take the division title in week 16. We're going to knock the Eagles out of the uh, playoff race, and, and I see us with a victory here in week 16. I agree 100%. I think we're going to get them. I think we're going to end the uh, – um the Eagles season as I go through, I was going through the schedule right now. And uh, I know I went through this with all the teams. Uh, The first week they're at the Redskins. I actually picked them uh, to be upset in that one. Um, I like the, yeah. Oh, really? I I like the idea of the new coach. I like their front seven. I think Haskins are coming with something different and um, you know, get the new uh, regime started off good. uh, Well, and um I have the next games. They got the Rams and Bengals coming in their house. I have them winning those. 
I have them losing to the 49ers. So that's two and two. I think they split the Ravens and the Steelers. That's three and three. Then I have them winning the next three, two versus the Giants, one versus us. That's six and three. I think they could beat the Browns seven and three. I think they split Seahawks and Packers. So that's eight and four. I think they lose to the Saints. That's nine and four. Or uh, excuse me, eight and five. Uh, I think they beat the uh, Cardinals to make them uh, nine and five. They lose to us to make them uh, nine and six, and then they beat the uh, Skins to make them ten and six. So that that's a possible wild card team still. But I think go the the point of going over it is in our uh, in our things. I believe I have our team at nine and five, and you have the team at ten and four. And they're going to come in at nine and five. So by the time this, yeah, exactly Ooh. by the schedule. So this game is going to be for the division. And that's why I was saying, I think it's going to be the game that knocks them out of the division. We finally put it away. We go to, uh, in mine, we would have 10 wins. We would have split. So they would have to have beaten the Redskins at the end. And we would have to lose to the Giants. And I just don't see that happening. And in your scenario, we'd be two games out, so it would be over completely. Well, Mike, since we're talking about Philly and the Eagles, and you know this debate is as is out old as time on Twitter. Do you think that the Dak Wentz debate has reached its point to where it's no longer even worth discussing, or is that something that you think will will never end? Yeah, it's going to go being from the same draft class and uh, and them, you know, how similar they are, you know, uh, it's going to go forever. The only way that it wouldn't is if one, you know, dramatically just one like Dak Prescott wins a division, wins a Super Bowl and they just dominate the next six years then I think you, you could go, okay, well, he's better or vice versa if Wentz did that. Otherwise, if it's like four two and uh, and one wins a Super Bowl, like say Dak gets one, and then everybody goes, "Well, Wentz was the MVP of the year that Foles won the Super Bowl, so he led him to the number one seed." And I, I just see it going back and forth. Um, the thing that I wonder about with the Eagles is the second contract's going to be coming up. The guaranteed money's going to be ending, and if Wentz gets another season or two where he's injured and Jalen Hurts shows promise, will they just go forward with Jalen Hurts and go, we just can't trust this quarterback as talented and potential he has. He just doesn't stay healthy enough. Then I could see that ending it. Because if he ended up going to another team, it would be like, yeah, the team didn't even want you. You're too injured. Otherwise, I think we're going to be stuck in this loop for a really long time. Well, hopefully the Cowboys win a Super Bowl this year and – you know the uh, the Wentz truthers can can stop trying to use that as the uh, as the uh, tiebreaker, if you will. The dumbest argument in history. That's the eye test. Wentz has a ring, and Dak doesn't. I'm like, yeah. Well, David Carr has two rings. Then you know Jimmy Garoppolo already has two rings and has been to a Super Bowl on his own as a starter. The third one, you know, it's just dumb. Obviously, you you had a really good team and a exceptional coach and they got they galvanized behind Foles and did the underdog thing and they won a Super Bowl but 
Wentz doesn't have a ring in the sense that it's like, oh, he went out and played and won a ring. That's just stupid. Borderline MJ LeBron debate, right? Yeah. Yep. Well, Mike, week 16, we lock up the division. Hopefully not locking, knocking out Philadelphia of the playoff race, at least out of the, the division race. And week six, week 17, again, another division rival. Now, we kind of talked about this on the uh, previous recording, but, you know, here come the Giants. It's week 17, and we have the division locked up. To you, how important is it for us to go out and, and win this game, even though our our playoff status is cemented and this is a game that really doesn't do much – much for you as far as, you know, let's just say we, we don't have a bye week locked up. We, you know, we are a, a wild card. Do, do you still think that we should go out and try to win this game, even take it, taking the chance on losing someone to injury? Yeah, I, li- I liked this question uh, when we went over it Monday because I, I didn't have it planned out. This is one that you were like, well, you know what, let's go over this. So I didn't have a, a thing of notes going, and I decided not to do notes on it this time either. I, I kind of go – with my gut on it and um, cause there's positives and negatives both ways. Obviously you get an injury compared to uh, staying in rhythm and everything. I believe that Mike McCarthy in his first year is not going to come in and go, yeah, we need to take a break. Even if we don't have the, uh, the buy, but the one bye week where it would be two weeks off, even if, even if we're going in and we know we're playing next week, I think Dak plays at least a half. Uh, all the main people play at least a half unless they're injured coming in. Um, in a game like this where the Giants likely have nothing to play for, uh, I guess there could be some semblance of a give Jason Garrett a win. But at this point in the season where everybody's – they're going to probably be out. We're going to be hopefully in the playoffs uh, and winning the division. You come in and you, uh, you play Dak and Zeke and them for a half. You get ahead. You put Andy Dalton in, let them, let Andy Dalton and Tony Pollard and them finish it. Um, I personally, I don't do the uh, week off stuff. If you're going to get injured and it happens, I'll take the heat for it. But I want the team to play. I want them to stay in rhythm. I want them to not get that cool down. You know, it's just so hard to get up for, for games like that that I'm not going to waste one any game on a cool down game. Hey, take it easy. This one we're fine. I don't want that mentality ever in a, in a team's head, like at all, because then when you play lesser opponents, do you do that too? Do you kind of in your head go, you know, we came off the Ravens. We're playing the Bengals now. Now this is nothing. We have, we're, we're Ravens and then we have Niners and then Eagles. We need to make sure we stay pumped for those. And let, let's not, you know, go all out versus Bengals. We'll beat them anyway. And then you end up in a dog fight. Maybe you lose it. I, I just don't like that mentality. So for me, I'm a play it out. I'm not a rest. Now, like I said, a half. That's fine. You go in there. You tell them we're playing the whole game. And if you get a big lead, you take them out and you're good, you know. But I don't want them in any mindset of of not playing hard or not going all out or not finishing stuff off is, is okay. I don't want that. Right. And we kind of saw that in um, 2016 where, you know, we go 13 and three, we've got that young team and week 17 against the Philadelphia Eagles, the, the starters, most of the starters just play 
the first quarter, maybe the first half at most. And I believe in that game we saw Tyron Smith get dinged up a bit. You know, he was able to play in the playoff game. Thankfully, we had the bye week uh, prior to the uh, playoff matchup. But we kind of saw the starters, you know, they only played, again, you know, maybe the first half at most. And we end up losing that game. We go into the bye week out on a loss. And then uh, we start the playoff game, you know, we didn't start off very strong. And, uh, again, it was a young team and a uh, rookie quarterback and running back and everything. But you just you kind of wonder what would have happened had we played that full game and tried to ride that wave of momentum. Because, you know, we kind of saw that in 2018 where we went on that long winning streak in week 17 against the Giants in a game, you know, that was meaningless because it wasn't going to improve our our playoff stock. It wasn't going to give us an opportunity at the bye week. We go out and we have a – Really, a nail biter ends up. Well, Dak gets a uh, game-winning touchdown to Cole Beasley, and we we win a close game against the division rival, and we're still riding that wave of momentum, and we're able to go into the playoffs against the Seahawks and and win a good game there. So uh, I like the point you you make. You don't want to have the mindset of of taking a week off or you know not taking the game seriously you want to stay hungry and stay motivated just look at the difference between those you you took the time off you got your your mentally you you took off so your mind sets on a break and everything you kind of basically get two bye weeks you go in the the first three possessions green bay scores touchdowns after take away those first the first three possessions where your offense is trying to get back in the rhythm the defense gets cut up you take away those three possessions, we destroy them the rest of the game. Watch the stats. I mean, it's not even – we we kill them the rest of the game. But because you took that mentality in and it took the – you gave Aaron Rodgers a chance to get you for three possessions while your offense and defense got back into rhythm, you lost. Now take the next time you go in, you get that big win against the Giants. Now you're going against Seattle. Say what you want, Seattle's Super Bowl mindset. Russell Wilson's made a super one Super Bowl, made another one. That defense had a lot of players on it that still were uh, uh, the Super Bowl champion uh, pieces. That coaching staff had a had a uh, Super Bowl, the the head coach was a Super Bowl winner. He's been to another one, and you have to grit out that game, you know, in a in a just a dogfight where Dak makes the play. This makes me laugh when people go, "Well, Dak doesn't make big plays." But you didn't watch them play Seattle, a championship mindset team, a team that knows how to win titles. And the guy that they beat, Russell Wilson, and the guy who Dak beats to break the tackle in that third and 14 halfback draw, a running back draw, quarterback draw, is Bobby Wagner. So, you know, you could just see, in my opinion, that is a direct, you could see the evidence right there directly now. On the other hand, the Patriots, if they don't get a bye week, they don't ever win. And when they get a bye week, they're in the Super Bowl all the time. So, you know, it 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 differs. You know, it's not like it's a universal thing. If you have a great coach, and like McCarthy's 9 and 12 to bye week. So, you know, if it, getting the bye week and getting, getting um, you know, in a playoffs where you get the bye week, that's great, you know, but is it the same as taking a week off mentally? Is that really considered a bye week? Because you still are getting ready for the Giants. It's not like you're not game planning for them or, or, or getting ready to play them. So why change the mentality 
and go out there with a blah attitude about it, a muh, you know, we just want to get to the playoffs. No, go out there and, and put a, a foot on their throat and keep your team on edge and keep them ready to go. Keep them with that killer mentality. Don't let them go in like, yay, we made it. Let's all celebrate. This is the win. We won the division. That's the win we wanted. Let's all celebrate and take a, a week off. No, thank you. I don't want that. Well, Mike, you brought up um... – you know, something I don't usually like to talk about, and that was that Green Bay game 2016. And what I didn't understand was to start the game off, you know, Green Bay had the worst pass defense in the league. And what did we do? We come out there and we were just trying to run all over them. And we let Aaron Rodgers get a 21-point lead on us. And then we decided to pass, we decided to pass it and let Dak loose a bit. I just, uh, you know, I never understood that philosophy. It was – it was again, you know, the the Garrett motto: all we had to do was execute. And yeah, you know, who knows what would have happened? I mean, had we taken advantage of that and not, you know, we game plan properly and try to take advantage of their weakness. I mean, we had Des Bryant, Jason Witten, and Terrence Williams. You know, I know, you know, say what you want about Terrence Williams, but he was a better receiver than advertised and. It's just frustrating to think about. Yeah, I get you upset because you it's another one of those coaching staff things where you had the players on that team and just the philosophy coming out. The the Like you said, the uh, we do what we do type of stuff. It's like, we're going to take the break. We're going to be good. We come out and do what we do. And it'll the playoffs are different. Playoffs against Aaron Rodgers is different. Playoffs against Green Bay is different. It's, you're not just going to do what you do and do this and that. you got to come out sharp. you got to have a game plan to attack this team. What can we do? And they just – they under Garrett's whole regime, I've never really seen them have that. Even the Seattle game where they're – if you look at the rosters, we should have beat them comfortably. But they have that – grit that that championship mentality that uh, that that type of thing that Garrett didn't and they were able to keep it close and then it took Dak to pull out that play on the third and 14 that you know put him over the top and um man I just hope that changes because because I still see the team slightly through the Garrett mold because we haven't been able to see it with McCarthy yet so we still you know, when you're evaluating, you still get that. Yeah, but will they Tony Pollard? But yeah, but will they use him like they should? Well, Tony Pollard's good. He could do what Miles sent. Yeah, but will they will they do it? Will they use him? Will they jet sweep him? Will they will they put him in plays? Or is he just going to come in and be Zeke's backup? And hey, he went for five point three yards a carry. Good backup. Okay. Well, why didn't you ever split him out? Why didn't you throw enough screens to him? Why didn't you make sure he got six seven touches a game? Because he gives you so many yards per play. Well, we need to make sure Zeke gets his touches. We knew, well, what if the matchup said Tony Pollard's a better matchup doing this or that? You know, not that you're not going to give Zeke 20 carries still, but attack people with what you have and where they're weak. And we just didn't do that. It just wasn't the philosophy to do that uh, under the old regime. Right. You know, gotta got to wonder what could have been, you know, if – Maybe Tony Pollard had gotten some more looks in that Saints game, or if you know Tony Pollard could have gotten some more looks in the Jets yeah. game. Just so frustrating to even think about. But I wanted to ask you, Mike. You know, you've made a point that you know, I know we were having the same conversation twice this week. But I'm going to throw a bit of a curveball at you. You know, just going back to that 2016 playoff game. 
Do you think it's any different if Tony Romo's the quarterback instead of Dak Prescott? Uh, yeah. I mean, uh, don't get me wrong. Dak Prescott killed that game. My, I mean, look at this. And, and this is what frustrates me about, about like, fans and, and not even fans, the Skip Bayless, the, the hashtag sports debaters of the world. They go, yeah, but he lost. But look at the game. Dak Prescott killed that. Like, what more do you – tell me a game that Jared Goff or – well, Wentz hasn't really gotten a playoff game. But when people say, like, oh, Dak hasn't played good in big games, tell me a game better by anyone drafted around then that was better than that game he played against Green Bay. The first three series where they were getting, like, in rhythm again because they had two weeks off and they're human beings, so that happens. You get out of rhythm. But after that, he killed. So, like, I'm not making this a knocking uh, Dak Prescott. He did great that game. I'm glad they went with Dak Prescott. It was the future. Tony Romo couldn't stay healthy. Now, are you telling me, we, you know, if Tony Romo was in there and he played the last, like, five weeks, they said, hey, Dak, you've killed, but we got to go with this guy. This is our guy. Uh, if he gets hurt, then you're going to come in. And if Tony Romo came in and played the last few weeks, coming back off an injury and went into that game, I, I think we probably embarrassed Green Bay. He had a, a loaded team, and Tony Romo was a really good damn quarterback. And he, there was nothing you were going to throw at Tony Romo that he hadn't seen. His offensive line was great. His running back was a stud. He was great with Des Bryant. You know, he still had Witten. Witten was doing things. He made plays with Terrence Williams. Like we said, Terrence Williams, you know, would you have liked an upgrade over wide receiver too? Sure, but Terrence Williams made some plays every once in a while, and Tony Romo set him up well. Uh, they were really good when it, when the play got out of hand, when the play was like a breakdown. Terrence Williams knew how to find the sidelines, and he'd catch it on the sidelines, you know, the little tippy-toe catches. And I, and I think mm-hmm. if if – Tony Romo was in there. We probably make a better run, but overall decision wise, you know, how do you take the ball away from Dak there? He just killed. He had won nine games. Was he went into Steelers and won? You know, he went in, and in that playoff game, he was the team was thirteen and three, and in that playoff game, he did everything you could ask a guy to bring a team back. That the coaching and the philosophy and the ideas uh, put them behind twenty one to three. And then he drug them all the way back. And then they went into that old, they played the same defense that they did that worked really well. And during the season, they played this defense that worked really well. And it got us a win versus Green Bay. And they started off in that defense and Aaron Rodgers cut them apart. So we flipped it and went differently. And that's how we flipped the game defensively. We stopped doing that set on that last play they ran the same set they always did and he was ready for it he marked it down in the sand you can go back where he where he drew the play up and this is what we're going to do this 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 he knew that defense was coming he rolled out he brought a tackle with them to help block and they set that play up boom right on the sideline field goal you know you can't do that against a guy like Aaron Rodgers and it killed Dak's great game so I'm not knocking Dak Dak deserved to win that game he, he played his butt off but I'm Tony Romo at that time. Dak's a rookie. Tony Romo's 12th year in. If he's healthy, he's going to be a difference. He's, there's nothing he hadn't seen where you could fool Dak early on. Maybe they did. Maybe it was rust and he was fooled a few times. And then he got on his horse and, and started killing him. But, yeah, of course it would have been different. If Tony Romo was healthy 
and he's in his friggin' whatever, double digits year in the league, Dak's a rookie in his first playoff game. It's going to be a difference. It just is human nature. It's how it is. And, you know, I think a lot of people fail to realize that Ezekiel Elliott, he was drafted to help Tony Romo, to help extend Tony Romo's career. And I don't think a lot of people understand that. You know, Romo, he checked out of a lot of the uh, Garrett and Lenahan plays. He he was really the offensive coordinator in the huddle yes. himself. So you got to think that his, you know, him being a veteran and having the experience, because he was the, been to the playoffs a couple of times. He's been a, in some big playoff games as well. You know, again, a, a big playoff game against Green Bay. I do think that we might have won that game. You know, I, I, I remember that Dak threw that uh, – that bone crushing uh, interception right there on a, uh, I believe it was a pass to the flat and it was intercepted by, um, I don't know if it was haha Clinton Dinks or who it was at the time, but I just remember thinking that that might've been the uh, nail on the coffin. And you, you mentioned it, that Dak had the mental toughness and the grit and just didn't let what had happened in, you know, the first half to get him down and he mounts a comeback. And, you know, I remember him getting that big, two-point conversion to tie it overall at, uh, I believe it was 31. And, you know, just for a rookie to have the mental toughness and the attitude and everything to be able to come back and not not sit on the sidelines and slump his shoulders and, you know, accept the defeat, you know, for him to be able to stay in there and give it everything he has, I think yeah, that showed a lot. It's amazing how perception works too, right? Because Mahomes is perceived to be this – all great, all world passer, and he is. He isn't just perceived, but he gets down in every playoff game by double digits. And when he comes back, what do they say? Well, you're never, you're never out of it when it's Mahomes. Mahomes this, Mahomes that. Right. Yeah, garbage time. Oh, it was garbage time. Garbage time. Sass. That game was over at twenty-one to three. Even though we tied it, and it took Aaron Rodgers making an Aaron Rodgers play to garbage time playoff stats. Oh yeah, the Green Bay already thought they had it won. I'm like, dude, they had they look at the games, Mahomes. Well, Mahomes, that's Mahomes, though. You're never out of it with Mahomes. The perception to reality is crazy how that works out. Yeah, it really is. I don't, you know, I'm not sure how many Super Bowls it'll take for Dak to get the respect he deserves. I doubt that he ever will to, you know, to some Eagles fans, Giants fans, and just people who who just for whatever reason have a personal bias against Cowboys and Cowboys yeah. players. Yep. I, I, it's funny, too, just to let people know, uh, I know we didn't really break down the Giants-Cowboys game. We didn't in the other podcast either. By that time, you won the division. The Giants, they're, they're a couple years away from being anything. They're not going to mess with us this year. So you're not really like – I wasn't going to break down like the key additions and this and that. That that's that, You should go in and smoke them. It should be a halftime game. It shouldn't be a big deal. Right, and, you know, we, we when we did do the breakdown of the game, we talked a lot about, you know, we, we like Daniel Jones and Evan Ingram and Saquon Barkley and things like that. And we talked about how Garrett, all things considered, can really run a good offense and things like that. So we just didn't really feel the need to talk about it again just because, again, it's a familiar opponent. We had already discussed it, and we were just really wanting to put an emphasis on the, uh, the Bengals game's the Bengals game and the uh, 49ers game guys. So uh, we do apologize if you're interested in our thoughts on the, on how we feel about the giants. You can find that in episode three. That's going to be the first episode of this Cowboys 
2020 schedule I think series second, here. Week five. I think one through four was first. I think it's the second episode, the first uh, game of the second uh, breakdown, week five. Yeah. Oh, is it? Well, I apologize, guys. Mike's on top of it. Y'all, y'all don't listen to me. Listen to Mike. He's much smarter. Try to, try to, I try to keep it up there. That would be funny though. If somebody went through the whole thing and it ended, you're like, "Son of a bitch, Paul. You should listen to the episodes anyway." So don't worry about it. Don't be mad. Listen all. <laughs> you need the whole breakdown of every one. Absolutely. Well, Mike. According to uh, this breakdown of the last four weeks and just the season overall, you have us at 11 and 5. I have us at 12 and 4. We both have us winning the division. Pretty exciting stuff when you talk about 2019, of course. You know, we've talked about that in depth as well. But we also had some good news last week with the uh, newly signed Alden Smith on his path to the uh, NFL and just, uh, you know, dealing with things that he's dealt with previously, he gets reinstated in the NFL and he'll be joining the Cowboys. When you think about Alden Smith, you know, we know about the relationship with Jim Tom Sula and we know what type of player he was early in his career. And a guy like that, you know, he's who's hasn't played football in four years and I believe he's heavier than he's ever been. When you think about Alden Smith, what what are you expecting from him this year? Uh, I'm very happy for Alden Smith. I'm glad uh, that he's found something to change his life around. He was um, my best friend as a Niners fan, and he was a little bit of a running joke by the end of it, you know, just because we were big Alden Smith fans, even though I was a rival of the 49ers. By the time he came around, like both of our teams weren't doing well. And so you just kind of wanted one of your teams to like, come on, one of us could get back to normal, but let's bring back the rivalry, you know, and when both your teams stink, it's like, you don't want to, you don't want to like hate on a team that is terrible anyway. Like, Hey, I'm going to make fun of you, even though your team has stunk for like 20 years anyway. So we were, we were like, uh, Alvin Smith, you know, he went through all the troubles and we were so big on him and happy, uh, for what a player he was that it was a bummer. So I'm happy he's back and doing well. As far as um, ex- what I expect, nothing. I don't expect anything. He's been out of the league for five years. Uh, we talked about this last time. Um, he's at a good weight. He's lean. Um, he's still only 30 years old. So could he come in and get you six sacks and, and be a player in, in with Jim Tom Sula, who he's used to? Absolutely, he could. I, I don't think he's going to always not making the roster. He hasn't been around. For, I, I expect him to make the roster. I expect him to maybe be first um, first uh, uh, switch on the field with if Tyrone Crawford's the starting right end as the kind of run stopper. I expect Alan Smith to be the first pass rusher in and get snaps and get tries. But ex- expectate, how can you expect him to do anything? Honestly, it's just – it's so hard to see a person be out of the league that long and go, oh, yeah, he's going to come back in and have a, uh, a effect on the game week to week. And, and I, I just – there's no way I can I – can, it's unfair to him, really, too, to expect that. If he comes – I'm sure he does. Good for him. I want him to expect that. But as fans, if you're relying on Alvin Smith to do more than – then Randy Gregory, who's not even on the team yet, or Bradley and I, or uh, Joe Jackson. 
any whatever you say for them, you know, five years out, whatever you say for Alan Smith, you can go, well, he has a little bit better. We've seen him do it in the league. That's fair. But basically, five years out, I could say, well, Bradley and I, he's he got 30 sacks at Utah. He's coming in. He knows how to pass rush. He could be effective at the next level uh, as much as Alden Smith could coming back off five, five years off. So I want him to do good. If he is, it's a monster move for Dallas because if he comes in and, and can be effective, that that's a game changer for us. So it's a great risk reward, but uh, I'm not going to say that I expect anything. I expect nothing. Right. This is one of those uh, feel good signings. Uh, we've seen Cowboys take risk on guys who have had troubled past. You know, we've seen a history with that. And again, you mentioned that it's low risk, high reward and, you know, we're not expecting a Robert Quinn type season from Alden Smith, but just getting anything from him will be a bonus. Now, you know, as we're talking about Alden Smith and we think about the, uh, the adversity that he's overcoming and dealt with, could you see him having a, being a good locker room presence, a good a good leader for that, some of our younger that is guys. Where I think he could bring the most, and one of the reasons that I think, besides Jim Sansula knowing him, and and uh, I, I think bringing him in is is the biggest plus, regardless of if he's effective on the field, because he's been through so much. Not only can he tell the young, being thirty two, it's not like he's thirty six years old coming in and telling twenty two year olds. He can go, hey, I've been through this. I was in a season. I was successful. Look what happened. You guys have to understand how quick it can go away. Like, I was a superstar Hall of Fame pass rusher for a two-year span, and then I've been out of the league for five years. And that quick it could happen. And not not just for young people, but for the team as a whole, he could be a rallying point. We talked about it when we talked about it on Monday when I told you how the schedule works out for the Ravens game and the team's tired, and they're beat up, and it's the third game in 12 days, and they're traveling, and you're just down, like, man, you're down. The coaches can look over and go, what, you think this is tough? Look what Alan Smith's been through. Like, this is nothing. Let's let's be real about real life, and it could be used as motivation. It really can be, and people could be like, oh, yeah, right. No, it really can be. Go watch the Michael Jordan documentary thing that I've heard about, and people talk all the time about how he would like make up things to motivate himself. You need motivation like that. And to get your team to go, what are you feeling down about? What are you, what are you tired about? You think this is hard? You want to ask what you want to find out about hard? Ask Alan Smith about hard. Look what he's been through, you know? And so you can use that as a rally point. So him for me, it's, it's like, um, it's like Tyrone Crawford, Tyrone Crawford. We need him for the off the field. We need it, the on the field's one thing, but he's a leadership guy. He's a, he's, and whatever he brings you on the field numbers wise, that's great, but he's more for the non numbers. I think Alden Smith coming in is a start off of a non numbers thing. Now, if he gives you numbers, now it's a home run for the 2020 season. But if he doesn't, he still, he can add something to you on the field, but he can really add something to your locker room. You know, we're talking about the defensive line, and we went out and we signed Gerald McCoy. We brought in Don Terry Poe and now Alden Smith. And he makes me wonder, well, what are we 
expecting out of Antoine Woods? And, you know, what are we expecting out of the second-round pick, Tristan Hill? Could those guys benefit from some adversity in their lives and adversity, you know, as far as professional-wise here with the Cowboys? Yes, it's it's interesting because I, I, I want these guys, these veterans, to get a hold of Hill um, I can't remember if it was Monday or the previous uh, previous pod when we talked about how Tristan Hill's two years younger than Neville Gallimore. Like, that is insane just to think about. Like, he has so much to grow on, and he has that body. Um, you know, he was – because of his get-off, he's thought of as a three technique. But with Neville Gallimore and, um, and McCoy, it could be harder t- for him to get snaps there. But where he could be good is he has the body type to be a Poe. He's very big. If he put the work in in the offseason to build up the way, say, a, a member Connor Williams, how he went from kind of slight to really bulking up in his second year, well, a guy with Tristan Hill's body, if he does that, he could potentially become the backup nose tackle. And then – uh Woods, who's who we all know my affinity with Woods. I, I was team Antoine Woods when nobody knew who he was. Um and I like him a lot, but he's you know, he's hired Drew Rosenhaus. There's been a lot of stuff online that's been a problem. And it may be something that the new team would rather keep a younger body that they have in control over a restricted free agent. The problem is Don Terry Poe's had injuries. He can't play every snap at nose tackle. So you need somebody that can take those snaps. Well, if Tristan Hill comes in and can survive taking snaps, you know, a third of the snaps at nose tackle as a backup or one technique, I keep saying nose tackle because I know we're going to run some three-fourths elements. But if he can play that backup to Poe, they may let Woods uh, roll. Woods may not make the team. He still hasn't even signed his tender yet. So I think ideally you would want your your group to be like McCoy, Poe, Hill, and uh, and Gallimore, and then maybe one of the bigger defensive ends who you have control over and who can move inside like a Joe Jackson could make the team instead of Woods, who you know is going to be gone at worst by the end of next season because uh, you only have control of him past uh, 2021. You can get a young guy and keep him a little bit longer. I think that would be even more ideal. I just don't know if Hill can pull it off. And if he can't, then you need Woods next year because somebody's got to play pose back up at the one technique. Right. You know, I remember uh, Antoine Woods, you know, just when I first heard about him, he burst onto the scene and they, uh, what turned out to be a training cap scuffle with uh, Travis Frederick, and he actually got the best of him, and that led to a bit of a emotional, um, a emotional fight, if you will. And you know, that's when that's when I kind of got excited because you know anybody who can do that to Travis Frederick, Frederick, you know, uh, somebody who's rather unknown doing that to an all pro lineman. I mean that that's got to get you yeah, excited and, and people get, you know, gave the excuse of the, of the uh, disease, the Guillain-Barre syndrome that he had. And that's valid. But if you watch that season, that first season that Antoine Woods played, he was a good one technique. I understand it's under Rod's system and we had games where we got beat up on the run. Um, and that's very fair, but overall for what you are paying for him and what position uh, he is and what he was asked to do. He played his butt off. 
And then he got the injury at the end of the year, and I felt he was very inconsistent last year. He was very up and down. When he was healthy and in there, he played fine. But I worry about he's clearly number two behind Poe at the one technique, and I don't feel like mentality-wise he's ready to be in that position. He believes he's a starting one technique. He's done it for two years. Um, overall, above average, I think you can give him that credit uh, well enough to where he could start on a team that's lacking at that position. We just happen not to be, and I worry about that chemistry. Could he affect that? And uh, um, he, I know he had to. Uh, they were talking about he had to get off of Twitter um, for some things that went uh, 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 a thing that went down with Indomitian Sue. I was actually listening to that just recently on Locked On Cowboys, and um, they were talking about how it might be even more ideal for him to be moved on from. And to let Tristan Hill be that, we just don't know if he's capable. And that that's the worry. You can't go in with only one one technique or uh, McCoy has to move over. And then you really have to rely on snaps uh, from maybe Crawford moves into the three technique. That could be another way they could do it. Uh, uh, Crawford moves to three technique. McCoy moves to one technique if something were to happen to Poe. And then you have to hope that Anai and Alden Smith and Randy Gregory or Dorrance Armstrong can control that right defensive end. And it's a lot to ask. Um, it's a tough situation because going into 2020, you might be a lot better with Woods. Your, your floor is better where you know, like, okay, we got this. If anything happens, we're set. But then going into 2021 after the season – you know, what young guy did you have to lose for that roster spot? There's only 53 spots. And, you know, I've been doing the projection now, and, man, it's hard to fit people in. You're, you're, we're going to be trying to get a lot of good players to the practice squad that I don't think that are going to make it there, that other teams are going to want to pick up. So not needing an Antoine Woods would be a big plus as far as going forward into future seasons because you'd be able to control – other players on your roster. All right. This, this off season could prove to be pretty big, not just for Antoine Woods, but more importantly for Tristan Hill, who we used quality draft capital on quality draft capital on, excuse me there guys. But, you know, we're hoping that Tristan Hill can um, benefit from some veteran leadership, a coaching change and a clean slate. Yep. I'm hoping that, uh, that that's what comes about some better training, a new scheme, uh, a week, a year in the weight room, and I really hope he comes out because he has tools. He's not vacant. There's a reason that he was a projected third rounder that we, you know, jumped on because our D, our defensive line coach really enjoyed his time with him, thought he could work with him well. But it's not like we took a guy who was a sixth round pick and we were like, oh, we, you know, we better. He had talent. He was projected third rounder. He was, you know, he was projected around where Neville Gallimore was drafted. So, you know, he has skills. We just have to hope he can, he can uh, get to that potential, reach that potential. Right, and hopefully our defensive coordinators and our veterans in the uh, on the defensive side of the ball can can help with that process. Absolutely, they they should just just in the ability to be versatile and game plan against the specific offense and actually blitz and be more aggressive. Yeah, that should help everybody 
including a youngster like Tristan Hill? Well, my great conversation is always, I, uh, we need to wrap it up. I don't want us to have the same issue we had earlier in the week. So again, I'll just, yes, I'd hate for this conversation to go to waste and, here we are, we're wrapping it up, and you had us at 11 and 5. I have us at 12 and 4. We're winning the division, and much better than what how 2019 went. And Mike, you know, if people want to talk some more Cowboys talk with you or just football in general. Oh, where can I find you Piglet, at? Guys, come on. I invite all. We'll talk about stuff. I'll mute you or block you if you're annoying, and you can do the same to me, but let's at least give it a shot, right? Absolutely. 